Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp, as always, so excited to have you joining us, excited to bring you this episode. Here's the tagline for our episode this week. Learn from the past, understand the present, explore the future. This week on the podcast, we're talking about deep technology. Now, what is deep technology? Well, we go into that, but essentially it's cutting edge. It's what's coming up. And we have an expert that gets to see all of it because he's in a unique place. Our guest this week is Guy Perlmutter. And Guy is the founder of Grids Capital. They are a deep tech venture capital firm focusing on artificial intelligence, robotics, life sciences, and technological infrastructure. You know, I know most of you know this, but the fact that they're a venture capital firm means that the newest cutting edge technologies are coming to them to seek funding so that they can build out said technology. So I thought it was cool because imagine being pitched constantly, day after day, all the newest technologies and innovations, you'd have a pretty good sense of what's coming. And that's exactly what we talk about in this episode. Everything from, is AI going to take over, to cryptocurrency, and more. A little bit more about our guest. He earned his Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering and a Master of Science in Electrical Engineering both from the Pontifical Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro. He 
1997, he was one of the winners of the Brazil Young Scientist Award. And what we're specifically talking about is his brand new book, which is called Present Future, Business, Science, and the Deep Tech Revolution. I hope this conversation expands your mind. If it does, if you're listening for one of the first, second, third time, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's pretty much the best thing you can do to not only help us and allow us to get better and better guests and get bigger, but it also makes sure that you don't miss an episode. And we have some incredible ones coming up. Very soon, we're going to be airing an interview with the performance coach for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Imagine being the guy who coached both of them. I'm interviewing a neuroscientist about mental maps, the maps, literal maps in our brain. Want to know about that? Yeah. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget about supporting us at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Let's get to it. Here is our episode with Guy Perlmutter as we talk about his new book, Present Future, Business, Science, and the Deep Tech Revolution. Enjoy. Well, Guy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. You know, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because, as I was mentioning uh, before we started recording, technology is not really my thing, you know? And I got to say, in 2021, that is not a sentence or a statement that is going to serve me very well. So, you know, I'm hoping to just learn from you, learn about how it's really uh, impacted my life thus far and how it's going to impact my life going forward. And I want to start here. Correct me if I'm wrong on the terminology, but you are a deep tech venture capitalist. That's correct. What does that mean? Right. So uh, venture capitalists uh, basically invest in privately owned companies, right? So uh, we are looking for startups in general, companies that are trying to build something new uh, and that are not publicly listed in a stock exchange like, uh, like NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And the deep tech part, that's a little uh, more interesting and exciting, I think, at least for me, because if you think about venture capital, it's all about investments in startups, right? It became a thing, even though it started as basically uh, investments in the whaling industry way back when. And there's a lot of uh, interesting trivia on that topic. Hmm. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that now people associate venture capital with technology, right? And there are roughly uh, two broad fields where venture capitalists are going to allocate their money, right? One is what has come to be known as soft technology, which are basically companies and startups that are not necessarily creating a new technology per se, but they are using the existing building blocks out there to create a new service or a new product or a new system, right? And that's the vast majority of venture capital. Startups uh, inventing new services or products, but using existing technologies. Hmm. However, there's this other uh, side of venture capitalism, which is known as deep technology. I mean, it's had many names over the years, right? It was known as frontier tech, emerging tech, hard tech, but seems like deep tech is the one that's going to stick. And deep tech is basically the investment uh, in startups where 
the actual core of that startup is the development of a new technology, right? A new device, a new methodology, a new uh, gadget, a new equipment. Uh, and they are typically, uh, not always, but typically they have patents around them. They have very deep technical expertise. And hence, we as a, a deep tech venture capitalist, we're looking for startups, we're looking for uh, uh, breakthrough companies that are basically situated in that part of the, of the venture capital realm, meaning developing and creating breakthrough and new technologies. Okay, so let's define this kind of breakthrough and new, because I think it covered a lot of ground, right? It could be a new process, it could be a new technology. Would it, Let's just call it a new social media platform. Would that qualify? Because social media exists, a lot of the platforms are extremely similar, but maybe there's a spin. Does that qualify? I would not think so, uh, because unless there's a very significant technical barrier of entry, then it, at least to my definition, right, maybe you'll ask someone else and they'll think differently, but in my mind, uh, in my frame, uh, framework, uh, that wouldn't qualify because I'd struggle to find, okay, so what is the spin or the bar the technical barrier of entry? Because sometimes the barrier of entry is not technical, right? Mm. There are tons of other types of barriers of entry, but we are uh, focused as a deep tech investor. We're focused exclusively on technical barriers of entry. Got it. Okay. So or kind of to simplify, it's the, the technology itself needs to be pretty much brand new. I mean, they are That's correct. chartering into the unknown type thing. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, they're in the bleeding, bleeding edge. I like to say that it's where science and technology meet because science is basically an exercise of proofing and disproofing stuff and, and making sure we can understand the laws of nature and, 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 and make life better for humankind in general. And technology okay. is, is the application of those skills into practical uses. So deep technology, it's pretty much at the intersection of both is when technology and science, they, they touch, then you have a, a deep tech company. All right, I, I'm so glad you said that because this is why I wanted to have you on. I was thinking about what your what I imagine your job consists of, knowing what I know about venture capital and you basically spend your days looking at the most promising technology that does not yet exist or is just now coming to fruition. Which means, in my opinion, you are probably one of the most well-educated people on where we're going, like what is brand new, all the stuff that we all hear about but don't fully see. You probably know most of that. Are you being pitched constantly the newest and greatest technology out there in all types of different fields? Yes, we're. that's absolutely right. We're we're very broad in terms of scope. I mean, there are deep tech shops out there that are focused on life sciences only or robotics only or energy only or machine learning only. We are very deliberate about being very broad in scope. We, we try to be uh, as, as, uh, as uh, broad as possible to make sure that we are plugged into all those trends because they talk to each other, right? There, there's not uh, a single technology that lives in a bubble in it by itself. So we try to make sure that we can see the bigger picture. Mm. But you're absolutely right. We have, we have the privilege and the luck of, 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 of 
peeking into the future, right? Looking into what's coming down the pipe. It's like that famous, uh, uh, you know, quote, uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, right? So it's more concentrated in a few pockets and, and accessible to a, a select number of people. That's such a great line. The future's already here because one of the things I, I'm looking forward to talking about is things like AI, biotechnology, nanotechnology, all the things you know of that, frankly, I don't. And that's why I want to have you on. This podcast at its core is how do I learn new stuff? But the thing that's most frustrating about it is I feel like I've been hearing about it for over a decade, and I feel like I'm going to hear about it for another decade before it actually plays any role in my life. And that is why me and technology don't get along. I like people. I like the here and now, what's real, what I can touch. And where are our flying cars, Guy? Like, where are they? Why haven't we cured cancer? Like, what's going on? What takes so long? That's that's absolutely right. And and there's this another uh, a fantastic quote by Licklitter. He was a psychologist back in the 1960s, and he wrote this book called The Libraries of the Future. And it's just a phenomenal book, incredible prescient. And he said that uh, humankind, we overestimate what we can achieve in one year, but we underestimate what we can achieve in 10 years. And, and this frustration, this, this, uh, this uh, uh, amazement that you're feeling where, okay, I, I, we've been talking about flying cars forever. We've been talking about curing some you know, diseases that have been around forever, and I don't see that. I think that has to do with the fact that, uh, and, and, and the book goes, I guess, into the heart of this matter, is that the pace with which science advances the pace with which technology advances and the pace with which society advances to be able to uh, bring all those three, uh, 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 let's say, speeding bullets into a convergent single spot where everything clicks uh, is, is usually very different, right? Science, technology, and society, right? If you look at education, uh, that's how society is driving education in one hand, and then there's how technology is driving education, and there's all those scientific studies on how the brain works and how we can uh, better learn or better teach. So these things are not in sync, and they're not going to be in sync for a while. So the, th the thing that we have to understand about technology is that uh, we have to be mindful that it's not so much about willing a technology into existence as it is about making sure that you're not skipping any of the necessary steps. Mm -hmm. So I was very careful while I wrote the book not to try to make you know those crazy predictions and not to be too... Uh, uh, too particularly optimistic about what's coming down the pike because uh, the very first pages uh, of the book are about how incredibly smart people uh, over the past 200 years have tried to make predictions on how the world would look like and they failed miserably, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're looking at things that uh, are incredibly hard to predict. So I think the answer to your question is, I don't know if we're ever, ever going to see you and me, if we're going to commute to work in a flying car, mm -hmm. right? I think there, the technology will probably be available, but I'm not sure flying cars are going to become a thing. Maybe yes, maybe no. But then 
if you look at what has happened over the past 12 or 14 months all over the world, we have to ask ourselves, will there be an office for me to commute to? Right. Because, you know, this nobody saw that coming. And then all of a sudden there's a conversation about how we're going to live our professional lives going forward. So I think predicting the future is tough. So you, you want to look at what the building blocks of the future are going to be like. What are mm. what I call the inevitabilities of the future? Because if you are... Uh, uh, latched onto the inevitabilities of the future, then there's a very small chance you're getting things wrong because whatever is inevitable, hey, it's inevitable. So you will have to live with it uh, for for decades to come. Such a good point. As you were going through that, I kind of was like, I know where he's going when you said, look, I don't know if we'll be in flying cars for the first time maybe ever. I was like, well, what is this? What do flying cars solve? What problem? Okay. And it's pretty much being stuck in traffic. And then it's, well, is that as much of a problem anymore? And I think it's yet to be seen. But then to your point, why build a flying car if we don't even need cars or, or something along those lines? So I don't know. That's where, yeah, you're right. I mean, we wouldn't have thought, hey, everybody's going to be able to work from home and almost in an instant. You know, how much did the pandemic just really fast forward trends that many of us hoped and saw were coming, but were just waiting on everyone else to get behind? That's right. The The pandemic for, uh, I think, the the venture capital industry in particular, you know, if you, if, if you look at the numbers and the sheer volume of money that was uh, allocated into a venture, right? And you are a former finance guy, uh, so you know how those things go. The, the market uh, for venture capital, because of the macroeconomic conditions where interest rates are historically low and there's so much liquidity all over the planet, and I think people realize, okay, we got into this mess, this, this virus and this pandemic, and what's going to take us out of this mess is going to be technology, right? Vaccines and therapies and, and quick tests and all that. And I think that was quickly extrapolated into many other fields of, of expertise. And this is why 2020 was the record year in terms of new money coming into the venture capital world. Uh, 2021 didn't skip a beat. The first quarter of 2021 has already seen almost half of what 2020 saw. And 2020 was the uh, record year in the industry. So we're looking at a, a, an inflow of, of money and a willingness uh, from you know investors to support new technologies and, and push the, the frontier forward because we're almost certainly going to be uh, able to sort out the big challenges of our days uh, with technology, right? We're not talking only about the pandemic. We're living a climate crisis, an energy crisis, food crisis, uh, overpopulation crisis. So there's so many, there are so many crises that are in the horizon. And I think people realize that uh, it's not going to be through willing those problems away that, that things are going to get done. We'll need to invest in technology. Yeah, I, there's so many ways I want to go with this conversation. I was just talking to my dad the other night about this. We were lamenting over all of the problems. Uh, I watched a Netflix documentary called Seaspiracy. I'm big into kind of global sustainability and things like that. And it was just depressing. Now, there's some issues with the facts in that movie, and I was I was researching it. But the point aside, 
is everywhere I turn, it's doom and gloom, almost on a scale that's unfathomable. So, for example, in this movie, they were talking about the amount of dolphins killed every day. And, and you go, well, what does that have to do with it? You know, any part of the food chain, especially in the oceans, that gets messed up. And my dad was like, well, you know, you have to hope and think that technology might be able to get us out of some of this. We always refer back to this book called The Better Angels of Our Nature about how we're inherently good. And then another book that talks about how throughout history, especially recent history, you'd rather be where you are today than typically 10, 20 years ago. So as bad as you think it is, it's almost always progressing. Where do you stand on, you know, um, our outlook for the future as a, as a species? That's a great question. And, and I agree with you. And I think you're alluding to a broader point, which is the, the, the very large trends, the ones that it's hard for people that live, you know, 75, 85, 100 years to capture, which are, you know, child mortality and, 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 and medium income and uh, quality of life. Those indicators, for bad or for worse, they are as a planet, they are trending in the right direction. So I think you're right in the sense that uh, there's no time to be alive like today and we look forward to the next 10, 20 or 30 years. The thing with, with the outlook of the future, I mean, looking forward to what's happening down the road is twofold, right? You have in one hand the possibilities and the amazing uh, uh, expectations we have around everything that is coming down the pipe. And, and to your previous point, right, I'm... Uh, I'm doing that 24-7, looking at the possibilities and what's, what could become a day-to-day a, a -day tool for us and that's now just coming out of a lab or a research institute. But at the same time, we have these uh, opposing forces, if you will, because if, if you think about technology as science on the edge, right? And you think about that as a very uh, objective, a very uh, you know, yes or no type of field, we are looking at a world where there's so much noise that has been generated by society as a whole that has been amplified by social networks. Now, every idiot has a microphone and, and a following, and all of a sudden we're living in a world where, you know, someone's opinion is more important than someone's fact. And that has never occurred before because right? facts were uh, basically facts, right? And, and yeah. you don't argue against that. And so my, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think, and again, I've worked, I've also worked in finance for a long time uh, as a risk manager. Hmm. So I think I've been trained to look at things not from the from the prism of what can go right, but actually of what can go wrong, right? And I try to do that uh, in a very objective way because that's what I'm paid to do, right? My investors, they are paying me to look at technologies and not be fascinated and think, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. We're going to cure cancer and we're going to be uh, living until 150. I think both of those things may happen, but it's my job not to throw money at you know anybody who claims they got it. We have to look at it objectively as a scientist, right? Mm -hmm. That's again, that's my 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 academic background and my training. So I'm optimistic about the future, but I'm very well aware of the fact that we have a few major hurdles between us and that future. 
And those hurdles, I guess, are the ones that I think technology, to your dad's point, I think will come to the rescue because if it were, if it was up to, uh, you know, uh, conventional wisdom and just leaving it to society as a whole, uh, it, it, we ran out of time, right? The climate crisis, we don't have time to wait for society to just, okay, let's revert to a simpler lifestyle where we don't need terawatts of electricity to feed our, you know, uh, our uh, contemporary world. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, that's one of the inevitabilities I was alluding to. We'll need more energy. We'll need to get cracking on how we're going to generate and, 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 and transmit and clean the, uh, the byproducts of any sort of energy generation. And we can go on and on and on on food, on uh, overpopulation, and all those crises that are now facing us. One of the things that is, one of the reasons why I've always had this kind of love-hate relationship with technology, and both ends of that spectrum are a little strong, but is this thing where like, I feel like it's a double-edged sword. So for example, uh, most people would say, you know, the iPhone is one of the greatest inventions of the last, I don't know, 20 years or something, right? Great. But I always go to this before the iPhone, I didn't know I needed an iPhone. Like, and people will say, what would you do without Uber or uh, whatever it is? And I'll say things like, well, I wouldn't travel as much, right? I wouldn't check email as much. Like I, when I didn't know it was possible, I didn't care. I didn't need to be connected. And there's a lot of trends, right, showing that it, it, it's actually detrimental. I mean, I just heard a thing the other day, something like more than half of high school students want to be influencers when they grow up. And I go, what kind of world are we living in when the ultimate goal is to be an influencer? Now, I'm not throwing stones because when I was in high school, I wanted to be a millionaire working on Wall Street. And you could say maybe something similar, right? What is trading stocks at? So I realize that this is cyclical. I realize it's nuanced and I realize my view can seem myopic, but it also stands to be true. How do you think about that double-edged sword of technology? You know, we expand life expectancy, but then we create 10 more problems. You're absolutely right. And there's this uh, amazing quote that uh, I've been repeating this for, for a few years now, and nobody could tell me where I read it. So I'm starting to think I coined it. So if any, so if any of our listeners, you know, know so who said that first, let me know because I'm, you know, just a, a hair away from assuming I coined it, which is technology. And this is, this goes to the heart of your personality where, when we were talking before the recording started about being a people person, mm -hmm. about being interested in engaging with people, the human touch. And, and, and this is great, uh, you know, from a, uh, the future of jobs perspective, these, this is where jobs are going to be at, you know, people who mm. are, have good people skills for a ton of reasons. But uh, to your question, um, I say the following, uh, technology is wonderful to bring people who are far away closer, but it also pushes people who are very close far away, right? And you don't have to, you know, look very far. You look at the restaurant, right? Sometimes there's like four or five friends having dinner and each one of them is looking at their phone and checking the messages. We have to be available. We have to be connected. We have to look what that little red dot on top of our icons uh, is going to tell us. 
And for me, this has to do again with uh, us as a society trying to struggle and, and learn how do we deal with this information overflow, right? Where now when, when I was, you know, in, 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 in uh, grade school or when I was, you know, in high school and there was, uh, you know, something I had to study, I actually had to go to a book or an encyclopedia mm -hmm. and find it. And, and photocopy whatever images my, my, my teacher wanted me to add into my work. And I had to, I had a couple of sources of information that I could go to. And now we're living in a day and age where you don't need to worry about memorization or learning anything by heart. You just have, and this is the most important skill you have to get, which is you have to learn to learn. You have to learn how you can find information, how you can scour all the corners of the internet to be make sure you get the right picture. And there's a lot of new technologies coming uh, to our rescue to help us in that part, you know, especially in, to, in the uh, natural language processing world of, of artificial intelligence. But the fact of the matter is that technology is a double-edged sword. And the way for you to avoid being dominated by it, and again, it's, you know, it's useless to resist, right? It's like for, for all Star Trek fans out there, uh, who I'm sure you have quite a few, uh, it's like the Borg said, resistance is futile, right? You cannot just say, I will live in a world where I'll be independent of technology. I promise you, that's not an option no more. We cannot yeah. do that at all. But you can try to do stuff offline that I think will be complementary to your skills uh, in the connected world. And I practice that with my kids, right? I have two kids. I have a 13-year-old boy and I have a 9-year-old girl. Uh, and, and they can use their, you know, tablets and, and, and their video games. Uh, I don't think, you know, video games are going to rot their brains. I think mm -hmm. it's healthy. We did that with other consoles. And before us, our parents and grandparents did that with other kinds of, uh, 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 you know, toys. But there are two incredibly important cognitive skills that I want them to have because I think they'll help it, that they both will need them, you know, going forward. And I think everybody will need it. The first one, and it will sound very simple, is to read books, actual books, because uh, today we're, we're addicted to those droplets of information where you read, you know, five lines, you know, on an Instagram post or on a tweet uh, or on a Facebook post, and then you know everything you thought you needed to know about this subject. And you know, you know, you cannot convey all the complexities and nuances of anything over uh, 140 or 280 characters, right? You can, you can introduce a topic and have people be curious and interested in finding more about that. So they have to read to build their knowledge on a, it can be fiction, nonfiction, whatever they need, whatever they want, but they have to read something that is more than two paragraphs, right? Mm -hmm. Because this seems to be the, 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 the limit of concentration that a lot of the people that are addicted to social networks have. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, which is really, really old school, is they have to learn an instru a musical instrument, right? Oh. And, and the reason why this is so important for me, it's because language, you can argue that language is exactly what will differentiate us 
from all the other species, right? I mean, the fact that we are able to communicate and structure thoughts and ideas. And, and I know other animals communicate to, to some degree, right? Dolphins, for instance, yeah. they do communicate and, 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 uh, and other, uh, you know, types of uh, uh, more evolved animals. But music, uh, you could uh, argue that music is the uh, pinnacle of our communication skills because that's absolutely universal, right? If, we, if you listen to a music, it doesn't matter which language you speak. Uh, if you hear a specific uh, tune, uh, the way it's going to affect you, like minor scales are going to make you feel more introspective and a little sadder, and mm -hmm. major scales a little brighter and open. All of that is universal. And I think that if you look at how you know, music is written, you know, sheet music is produced, that's not going to change. That yeah. has been the same for the past hundreds of years. And that's, that's how it's going to be for the next hundreds of years. That's how those scribbles come to life. And I think that the task of learning how to decipher those symbols, train your body, your hands uh, to, uh, to be able to transform those scribbles into sounds and those sounds into something with emotion, uh, I think that's an important antidote if if you will to a very technology filled world so hmm. that's how i deal with this uh this paradox of us living in a very uh technology driven world but needing but uh, us needing to uh, preserve our humanity yeah no i love that and a couple of things that we didn't hear things like well they have to learn how to code and they have to you know and it's also interesting i noted how you said people skills, the ability to communicate with people and really connect with people is going to be a big part of the, the job future. That's something I want to cover. But, and by the way, we're definitely going to go past 11 a.m. Eastern, so I just wanted to let you know. Um, I want to, there's so many things I've written down that are just kind of, uh, not, they're questions that don't necessarily flow, but I have to ask you. And one is this, you mentioned the quote, that we kind of overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in a decade type thing. And we can take that and scale it slightly, but let's say the past uh, 10, 15-ish years, what do you think are the top one or two uh, technologies that have benefited humanity? That's a great question. Um, well, I'll give you that answer, but I cannot you know, uh, in good conscience, answer that without mentioning something that I think it's going to come as a surprise to, to many uh, uh, of, of our uh, listeners, which is the invention that really changed the shape of the world was the steam engine, right? Which happened back in the 18th century. I was going to say, if I check my dates, that was a little bit further back. <laughs> exactly right. And that's why I said I have yeah. I will answer your 10, 15 year question. Yeah. But yeah. I have to say that because uh, the book is so much about the history, the trends and how we got here. And we cannot underestimate how important the steam engine was, because that's what unlocked you know the industrial, the first industrial revolution, which you can argue was the uh, the precursor of all the other industrial revolutions we have lived ever since. All four of them so far. Um, that's what unlocked you know the GDP uh, all over the planet to skyrocket. That of course that brought 
a, a multitude of problems and challenges, and we can argue that this is exactly why technology needs to come to the rescue because we created monsters and these monsters have to be tamed. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, plan B would be would still be living, you know, uh, a life where people would live until they're they're thirty, where we would have suffering and famine and 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 conflict. Uh, and people uh, having very unfulfilling lives. So mm -hmm. I'm just saying that it's important to keep things in context. You mentioned the big picture, and this is the type of big picture highlight I think we should always have. Now, I think I, I would go 10, 15 years ago, we're talking about early 2000s. I think that for all the right reasons, I think probably uh, the Human Genome Project, that would probably sit in the top of my list because... The the power of us now, and this is what I meant when I was alluding earlier to us understanding the laws of nature better. Uh, I mean, we now have this incredibly powerful tool where we understand the billions of bases that compose our DNA. And we're starting to get a very good grasp on which... Uh, pairs of bases or which sequences are responsible for certain horrible diseases and nasty diseases and we're being able to edit that part of the genome and replace it in a way that that disease is not going to manifest itself and again we're going to make sure that people are not suffering and that they're being a they will be able to fulfill to lead fulfilling lives so again i mean gun to my head i think life sciences in general right inventions related to life sciences they for obvious reasons they they almost always will take precedence on all the other inventions, because these are inventions that are looking to better, uh, to improve our lives, our quality of life, uh, uh, you know, the cure for diseases, and uh, hopefully the complete eradication of some uh, conditions. Yeah, it's funny you said that. I was talking to a friend not too long ago. I don't want to say arguing about technology, but I was kind of talking about things like social and downfall of society based on things like that, you know, Absolutely. your everyday Absolutely. conversation. Yes. And, <laughs> and he said, well, what, then what good is technology? And I said, you know, look, I know this isn't the most well-rounded view, but I feel like the only uh, use case that that seems undeniable is towards health uh, and, and quality of life, right? So a lot of again a lot of people use things like an iphone or or whatever it is connectivity um but all of those i can always go back to without them i don't think my life was any uh worse i i, I truly don't in in 1990 i don't think it was worse from a connectivity standpoint and there's plenty of people that could prove me wrong I, i'm not saying that that's true but the one undeniable is things like healthcare i was just marveling the other day at the vaccine. I was just, I was just struck. I was just walking through the house because it was yesterday. It was mother's day and we're going to see my parents, my mom who, you know, um, they're, they're both a little older, but to the point where they were in a, uh, you know, they're in an age group that is vulnerable. And, you know, I couldn't do that uh, four months ago, five months ago. And now it's almost like we're back to normal. That's crazy. That type of stuff is like, worth it you know 
Absolutely. And if you think about the uh, speed with which things happen, right, we are, we're very spoiled uh, living in a day and age where everything is instantaneous. Hence the need for people to read books because books are not instantaneous, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you go audiobook, which is perfectly fine, it will take you uh, seven, eight, nine, ten hours mm -hmm. to hear a full story. But before the COVID-19 vaccine, the fastest vaccine to come to market took four years, right? Four years. And we did it in 363 days, I think, from the discovery of the virus up until the first shot in people's arms. And we did not skip uh, any stages, right? People can say, oh, we, we rushed things. We did not rush things. We parallelized things mm -hmm. and we leveraged technologies that have been under development for decades. So, exactly. And again, this goes into the message that we try to convey uh, you know, throughout the book is that we live in this world of biotechnology, nanotechnology, and robotics, and machine learning, and 3D printing, and autonomous vehicles. But that did not happen overnight, right? This is like uh, what we call the overnight success, hmm. centuries in the making, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This has a, a, an arc. This has a history. This has a, a very uh, a, a logical and consistent story of, you know, men and women throughout history, engineers, inventors, scientists, philosophers, dreamers, visionaries, building their uh, views of the world and trying to connect things. And one thing leads to the other. And the marvel of the age we're living at, and it's of course part of the risk, is that those building blocks that I alluded to, they are everywhere and they're very accessible. So you can ultimately design new stuff in any of the fields I've mentioned by trying to make sure you know how to combine and how to leverage the power of those building blocks. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. At Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks ranging from bestsellers and new releases to business, motivation, and more. There's tons of original entertainment from top celebrity creators and thousands of popular and binge-worthy podcasts. Check out the newest plan, Audible Plus. Audible Plus gives you full access to the popular Plus catalog. Now you can listen all you want to thousands and thousands of popular audiobooks, original entertainment, and podcasts, including ad-free versions of your favorite shows and exclusive series. You'll also find guided fitness, meditation, and sleep tracks for better rest. All of this is available to download and stream so you can listen anywhere on any device. You can always find the perfect title for whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, or whatever you're feeling. Whether it's comedy, romance, suspense, true crime, science fiction, or fitness and wellness. You can even squeeze in a workout or guided meditation without having to go to a gym or class. With everything you love to listen to, all in one app, Audible Plus is your playlist for life. New members can always try Audible Plus for 30 days on us. Visit audible.com smart or text smart to 500-500. Again, that's visit audible.com smart or text smart to 500-500. Download the Audible app today. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. The coolest part? You can listen across devices like Amazon Alexa enabled devices without losing your spot. 
So check it out today. Visit audible.com slash smart or text smart to 500-500. And now back to the episode. And you mentioned the book. I've got the book here, uh, Present Future, Business Science and the Deep Tech Revolution. I'm going to talk about a little bit about the structure of the book, the book itself, and then kind of dive into where we're going. So that's the structure for the rest of the conversation. So you, you've alluded to the fact that this isn't, it's an interesting book because it isn't, um, hey, here's what, the, what, the, what got us here. It isn't, where are we going? It's kind of all things. So let's, let's just start. Why write it? Wow, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> Uh, I'm always curious I mean, why authors, you know, subject themselves to torture because it is a tough process. It is. It is a very tough process. And and uh, and uh, we, I mean, there's a whole other conversation to be had about right, the process. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll answer with uh, with a quote that I added uh, into the acknowledgments uh, a part of the book, which says it's by uh, Toni Morrison. She was a uh, an author. She won the 1993 Nobel Prize uh, uh, in literature. So she said, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And this was a book I wanted to read. I, I needed to find a book where people could go to, where I could go to and see not, you know, a lot of hype about how the future is going to yes. look like, a lot of okay, flying cars and plenty, plenty of food for everybody, and uh, diseases are going to be wiped off the, the the face of the earth, and 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 there will be no more war and all those types of things. But I also didn't want a book that told me about okay, this is how the major scientists in history lived, and these are their achievements. I wanted something where I could tell people okay. Uh, you know what happened? We are always talking, right? Uh, uh, you know, amongst ourselves, our families, our loved ones. Oh my gosh, things are moving so fast. Oh, another breakthrough. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Because the speed with which innovation is, is, is hitting our homes is only going to increase, right? Now we have digital assistants. A lot of us have robots to clean our houses. Uh, and we don't better die at that. We, we have robots at home. We can control them with our phones. We can connect with people on the other side of the planet instantly with video, audio, in the future with holograms. So, I mean, how come things are happening so fast? So the book is basically a, a, a fair warning to say, if you think you've seen fast, then buckle up mm. because this is only going to accelerate. And why? Because the uh, building blocks that are available, they can combine in a very interesting manner. And you have what has been called by uh, some authors exponential growth written all over that because you can now leverage off of the new technologies, right? You can leverage off of your, your telephone, your smartphone, and assume that that can be, for instance, a tool to be paired with a specific device that can give you results on your overall health. So all of a sudden, we're living in a society where those building blocks are available, are relatively cheap, and are going to create new possibilities and new markets. So that's mm. one, one goal. Second part was 
this uh, illusion that everything is an overnight success. And again, to our point about social media, right? Everything seems instantaneous and simple and instant gratification. And people very quickly are losing track of how hard people work to achieve perfection, to achieve uh, you know, uh, great performance, right? So I'm, for instance, I'm a basketball fan, right? And, and I've played basketball when I was younger and I play basketball to this day. <clears throat> and when I watch, you know, you know, a guy like Steph Curry, uh, uh, you know, shoot the ball like that, what we see is this 48 minute window of him shooting the ball. But this guy, he puts in hundreds and thousands of hours to improve his game, his physical build, and his mindset to be able to achieve that. And why do I use sports as an analogy? Because all the incredible achievements we're looking into our day-to-day -day lives, driven by technology, they are the uh, result of thousands of hours of painstaking effort by hundreds of people that have been moving science inch by inch and making technology come along for the ride. And what I wish we had was a society where everybody idolizes, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world and rightly so, right? I'm a huge fan, mm -hmm. but there's also room for people to idolize the Dodnas of the world, you know, Nobel Prize in, in, in medicine with the creation of the CRISPR that we know everything there is to know about Einstein and Isaac Newton, and that we follow closely what Neil deGrasse Tyson is, 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 is saying day in and day out. I mean, a society where we can connect more with science and technology, and hopefully this book will shed some light into how these amazing characters have shaped the world we live in. And finally, the last part is we cannot just marvel at the, 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 the gadgets that the scientists and technologists created for us. We have to be very aware that we are in a world where uh, a lot of the challenges we have facing us, again, climate, food, urbanization, energy, they are serious and they have to be handled by this generation and maybe the next. Because if we don't, then guess what? We don't need to worry about the following generations because we'll get to a point where stuff is going to be irreversible. So that was what I was trying to achieve uh, with the book. I love it. As you were talking about that, something struck me, and this goes back to yet another reason why, I don't know, sometimes I, I feel not so optimistic. Um, do you think that there is a misaligned incentive for where we need our our smartest, our brightest, our most driven to focus and where we're incentivizing them to focus? I think it's less about the incentives because there's something that drives and you can and, and that's been true throughout history, that something different that drives scientists, right? They're not after fame, fortune, wealth, uh, 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 publicity, status. They're after knowledge. And by they, I mean all of the scientists that are in the labs, uh, in the research centers, at home, if you're a theoretical physicist or a cosmologist and you're thinking about how the universe works, these are folks, don't get me wrong, it's not that they don't like money and sure. they don't care about you know uh, interviews and fame and fortune, but 
they're driven differently. They're people that are built to know and to learn and to discover. I think the misalignment is why we are not getting better people into politics. Mm-hmm. That's the misalignment. <laughs> oh, man, you just... This... You... <laughs> That's funny. I don't even know where to go with that. Keep going. <laughs> this is this is the misalignment because we live in a day and age where, I mean, leadership has never been harder to find in the world, right? And we can talk about specific countries, continents. We can talk about specific leaders. But just to keep that conversation, you know, civil, <laughs> uh, let's avoid going into that. I mean... Yeah. And in, in, in every time you watch C-SPAN or CNN or, or any news outlet, we were supposed to be looking at the best of us, representing us and, and setting the priorities and making the conversation as high level as possible. We live in a world where knowledge is, has never been more accessible. You can learn anything there is to learn. We can you know, build stuff uh, that we were never even in our wildest dreams able to build. But we did not take the political scene along for the ride. And it feels like it's almost the opposite. We are advancing in those areas of knowledge, information, science, culture. But the political scene is getting very dry and very unpromising, if you will, in terms of who will lead us, who will take the baton and say, yeah, this is the way, this is where we should head to. So mm-hmm. the, the, the alignment question, when, when I think about alignments, I'm not worried about scientists mm-hmm. or professors or entrepreneurs because these these folks are driven, you know, by by other types of of incentives. That's a good point. Uh, I'm 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 worried about the framework under which these the rules of the game. Because mm-hmm. all of us we have to play by a specific set of rules, and those rules are written by and approved by politicians. And this is where I'm more concerned about. I think there's something broken in a system where we cannot attract the best of us to be in politics and to drive this conversation. I love where you took that. I mean, I'll never forget a book I read. It's called The Psychopath Test. And it's essentially the thesis is uh, most successful people would qualify as psychopaths. I mean, I, I and when I say most, I think the number was greater than 50%, so the majority. Now, that's a very brief summation, but it was things like politicians, CEOs was a big one, you know, things like that. And to your point, I always go back to on the, I I don't remember where I learned it, but when I learned what it used to mean to, uh, you know, be part of Congress or something like that, you know, it it was talking about how it was the average citizen who would come for a couple years and then go back to their farm. So obviously their motivation is for the average person. But now if your goal is to just stay there and make sure that this is your career for the rest of your life, the output changes immensely. And I think it's so broken that even people who want to make a positive change know that that's not the place for them to do it. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's sad. It's sad. It's depressing. And again, every generalization is is dangerous. And of course, there are exceptions. And we all know who sure. we're talking about here. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and 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 there are people with true, you know, uh, public service spirit and people that have been building their communities and 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 and, and looking for out for the greater good. But having said that. Uh, the again to your question and i love how you framed it you know the the incentives the alignments mm -hmm. uh you have to have skin in the game and you have to have your objectives aligned because guess what people have been the same our ethos our psychology our uh, desires our drivers uh have not evolved as fast as the technology that we're living, the technology-driven world we're living in. So we have to reconcile that, and this plays a role in job, the job market, education, uh, 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 businesses in general, and of course our political framework. So, hmm. so yes, I think I think this is this is an area where we need a lot of work. And one of the areas where I'm most pessimistic about, unfortunately, because mm. the misalignment is is huge, and social media serves uh, the the wrong purposes here. Yep. And we've seen this time and again in the 2016 election, uh, in the 2020 election, and in pretty much every contention. And and even more dangerous in a lot of issues that have not even bubbled up that were. You, you know, manipulated and were sorted out by a handful of bad actors. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, hundreds of, 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 of thousands of miles away uh, from where where the uh, consequences are going to be felt. Well, look, we, we, we don't have much time left, but there are a couple of things I want to talk about, because wh why do a lot of people tune into this? They want to know about the future, right? And I know you're not going to predict the future, but what you can do is you can base, especially our short-term future, on information that we don't have. The things you see, that's so cool. So we could really go anywhere with this. I want to start then with this question. What are you most excited about in the next 10 years? I think we're going to live longer and healthier. That's, that's, that's for sure. There's, there's so many unbelievably cool things being developed and coming to fruition uh, in the diagnostics, therapeutics, drug discovery, surgery, world realms that that uh, I think in the next 10 years, uh, hopefully we're going to look at some of the treatments we employed five years ago and say, oh, gosh, the, these were the Middle Ages. We're now so beyond that. So mm. I'm incredibly excited for, you know, for for our generation and our kids generations in terms of what they can expect in terms of quality of life and, and health in general. Do you think that is going to be like a true tipping point? So, for example, you mentioned CRISPR, which is actually a company I, I keep saying I'm going to buy some of their stock. And then they keep, it's just not I'm like, how is this not, you know, so much higher? So I keep waiting. I think I'm going to time it perfectly just to let everybody listening know. But, um, you know, something like that, is it going to be a we finally perfected it? And then from there on out, it's just a different place to be. Or do you still think it's going to be a slow burn before, during and after? I think I think biology by nature is is complex and there's no uh, I mean there are of course landmark moments right you know discovery of the DNA uh, by you know Rosalind Franklin and I know people are gonna say Watson Crick and uh, uh, 
but 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 her work was instrumental and again i cover that that part of of, the, of history in the book but i think the dna x-rays uh uh chemotherapy and uh, uh of course crispr i think we're gonna see those uh advances coming down the pipe and i think that we got rid, if you will, of infectious diseases, and now we're left with chronic diseases. And in the future, once we get rid of those, we're going to get, of course, other uh, issues to handle and to deal with. But the overall story that is going to be told about, you know, life sciences and medicine, I think in the early 21st century is one of spectacular advancements uh, in many, many fields. But I don't think it's going to be we're done here. We can now turn our attention to other stuff because uh, as technology has taught us over the centuries, uh, you sol solve a problem. There's another one, you know, right behind it waiting for you to, 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 to attack it. So mm -hmm. that's how I think things are going to move. Yeah, it reminds me of a long time ago. I mean, one of our first interviews, we interviewed this guy. His name's Aubrey de Grey. And I forget the organization he worked for, but essentially his goal is to... Um, he. he create a foundation where people live forever, right? And I remember being like, ah, oh, that's not a good thing. Look at all the problems that will arise, right? And so what we're talking about, if life expectancy goes 150, 200, 250 years, that's not a good thing. And he said, let's remove that question from the, from the table for the moment. And let's say this, you have the chance to live another 200 years or have your parents live 200 years. Do you say yes or no? And I'm like, Damn, you win. Because of course you say yes, right? And then we use technology to solve the rest of the problems. Like Elon takes us to Mars and we colonize that or something, you know? It, it's, it's, I guess that's progress, right? It's, we progress and then we, the problems that arise from it, we solve and we keep going until we can't anymore, hopefully. Exactly. Progress is basically uh, exchanging one problem, sorting one problem out, solving it, done, Let's move to the next one because that's that's the nature of life, right? It we, is. We 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 crack one, and there's one right around the corner waiting for us to to get our hands on it. And the interesting thing is that uh, there is this logical process to it, right? We cannot figure out quantum mechanics if we don't figure out classical mechanics, right? So you needed a Newton before you needed mm -hmm. an Einstein or mm -hmm. or a Bohr, and I think. For, for health and, and manufacturing and 3D printing and uh, airspace, air, airspace travel, uh, all those things are logically stacked one on top of the other. And this is why science and history of science is so phenomenal because you can actually build your case on top of what the people that came before you uh, 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 found out and discovered. And, and, and we try to highlight that as much as possible in the book. Tell us about AI. Like, are we going to be subjected to, you know, computers in the future? Are they going to rule the world? I mean, what, what do you see as the near-term and long-term future of artificial intelligence? Right. So, so there's, there's a little bit, I think, of, a, of a, a misconception here because by some degree, maybe not even a small degree, we are already leading lives that are greatly influenced by machines, by big data, by algorithms, and by machine learning, right? Next time you, you, you open your, your uh, Netflix account or 
uh, your Amazon Prime account or your Apple TV account and you see a recommendation, that's a machine learning system uh, taking the tastes of hundreds and thousands and millions of users and say, well, people who enjoy this enjoy that. So maybe that's something you should uh, uh, watch. Uh, when you go into Amazon and you find out you know, that uh, the suggestions that the algorithm is putting in front of you actually make sense. Uh, Amazon, they have the one-click purchase mm -hmm. button for everyone to see, but they have patented a few years ago the zero-click button, which means the algorithm knows, quote-unquote, what you're going to need, and they'll send it to your house in advance. And if you get it, and actually, I don't need this, no charges, but chances are you're going to need that at that particular moment. And they know oh, because they terrifying. got you figured out, right? That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But again, we feed information when you, when you Google something and an ad appears. Uh, this is about systems and AI peeking into your tastes and your likes and your dislikes and trying to make things easier for you. And again, it's a whole other conversation, how much we want that or we don't want that. There are people that find this spooky. There are people that love it. Uh, we can talk about that, you know, uh, at some other point. But the fact is that there are two types, broadly speaking, there are two types of AI, right? There's the uh, uh, specific, uh, the, the AIs that were specifically built for a purpose, move recommendations, optimize you know, the production of a specific uh, 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 part, uh, uh, traffic recommendations to make sure you, you get the shortest possible or the fastest possible route, uh, playing chess, playing Go. I mean, these are uh, specifically developed AIs. And there's this big discussion in the academic world, in the science world about generic AI, which is a J an AI that could potentially do any of those things or anything else you throw at it. So my answer to you trying to be objective and not, you know, uh, uh, dodge the question is we're only going to have this as a legitimate conversation in terms of the AI, but AI potentially taking over our lives if and when because I'm not sure if we're ever going to get there. We have generic AI, mm -hmm. a, a, a AI that can be used for any purpose that we, we, we feel like. And this is not happening, at least in the next few years, uh, maybe decades. And again, some very reputable scientists think th this will never happen at all. So right now, I don't think this is a, a real risk we're running. I think we're still a long way from this conversation. One thing that I'm glad it popped into my mind as you were talking about this, I've long thought about the fact that most people felt that, call it 50 years ago or 30 years ago even, as technology progressed, we would lead not only healthier lives, but like better lives, more enjoyable lives, happier lives, which depending on where you look, is not the case, right? There's plenty of data that shows that we are suffering from more mental illnesses and we are less happy and all these things. Another thing is we're working longer and harder. Now, you, especially in your book, talking about the history of it all, I'm sure know way more on this. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, 100 years ago, no, we were working far more, right? But in the shorter term, my guess is maybe 50 years to now, we're working longer 
Um, and at least we're more connected. So it feels like we're working longer. What do you see as the future of work? Do you feel like we can finally somehow get to a point where machines are doing most of the work or a lot of it, but we have created a system where we all have enough money and we have time. And so we can spend more on the human aspect, or is it just, look, this is how we're built. We're going to grind and grind and grind despite what technology is doing for us. That's a, again, a fantastic question. I think, uh, you're right in terms of if you look at the number of hours people work now, we've never worked so much because up until 100 years ago, you cannot take your work with you, mm -hmm. right? There is a place in a machine that you operated over a course of, I don't know, six, eight, ten hours, whatever. And that was it. You left. Even if you wanted to continue to work, you couldn't. Now it became ubiquitous, right? We take work with us anywhere we go. We have our smartphones with us. We're accessible over email, messaging, uh, phone, whatever. So you could argue that in terms of number of hours, we're working more. And the pandemic actually accelerated that because now we're at home and that sacred space that you had where work had a hard time, you know, invading. Now it's all of us, right? Working from home and making sure that our lives uh, try to reach a balance between, you know, number of hours working and number of hours not working. So my answer to this is, uh, I, I think that there's a big uh, risk. And again, that's, 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 I think, one of the topics that we cover in the book, uh, that automatization and machines and robots are going to do a lot of the jobs and be able to deal with dangerous jobs and toxic jobs and are going to be able to create amazing possibilities and opportunities. And you can argue that this is going to generate again in the history of, of the world, creative destruction, which is a term that is used when jobs are destroyed and new jobs are created to replace those old jobs because, you know, we are always replacing one problem with another. Mm. So as we create, for instance, as we create uh, drones that will deliver food for us, we'll have to create the experts that are going to be able to coordinate how these drones are going to talk to each other and we'll have to create some sort of an FAA for the drone world that are going to, they're going to be flying a few hundred feet above the ground and then there are new jobs and these jobs actually exist to coordinate that. So every problem that you solve with technology generates new careers and new opportunities. So I, I'm a real strong believer in creative destruction and how new jobs are going to be created. But having said that, uh, and to your earlier point about, you didn't mention in the skills that people have to have, you know, coding or mm. math mm. or science. You talked about musical instruments and, and reading. And the reason is because... Uh, you know, 50 years ago, if people asked you about future skills, you wouldn't say, oh, they have to know how to speak English. You would never say that. That's, that's basically step zero. Mm -hmm. And for me, being able to code, being able to tame a machine to your will, to make it do your bidding, that's like being able to speak English. Wow. That's step zero. That's, 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 that's not in the conversation anymore. This is like uh, step zero for any job uh, going for, not realistically any job, but the world is going to be 
driven by so much technology that you will not feel good if you say, well, I can proudly say I cannot program my phone or my, uh, I don't know, my setup box or my digital assistant. That's not going to be a badge of honor. I can tell you that right now. So I think that mm -hmm. the the other big discussion, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I think, uh, not opening that Pandora box now because that's a very complex discussion, is, you know, universal basic income. Mm -hmm. How does that play into a world where the skills and the service sector is now getting uh, squeezed by machines? Because uh, up until the 21st century, jobs were being uh, uh, taken over by in the agricultural sector, in the manufacturing sector. But right now, we realistically can see the work of translators, lawyers, finance analysts, uh, asset allocators. Uh, all those jobs now may be with very, uh, uh, I think, a very uh, accurate uh, and a very uh, precise delivery uh, be performed by machines. So all that will make the job market, I think, much more uh, uh, fertile for people with soft skills, people that have uh, qu qualitative skills and that are able to uh, perfectly address those gaps that we are definitely going to see. It's going to be a fascinating journey, I have to say. Look, yeah, I want to end it, but I, I just, last question, and you can keep it as brief or as long as you want, but where do you stand on crypto? I so, know it's a massive one, right? But like, I'm just, <laughs> I can't let you go without just asking. Absolutely. Okay. So, so two, I, I will, again, I will not dodge the question. I'll give you a very straight answer, a uh, straightforward answer. But uh, as a caveat emptor, I have to say, I'm a risk manager. I've worked in finance for a long time. So mm -hmm. you have to take that into consideration. True. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm particularly risk averse. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I think that there is value in the concept of a decentralized uh, country or currency agnostic, if you will, reserve of value. But I'm not buying into the thesis that global central banks are going to idly look at that and do nothing. So when you have players as 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 big as the fed or the you know uh, european central bank or the bank of china or the japanese uh, money authority looking at that and again to to what we talked about earlier the the, the building blocks of those technologies being readily available uh the idea of blockchain is much more attractive to me as an investor than the idea of crypto because mm. crypto from a technology standpoint the challenge of crypto the decentralization and the uh, the, the non-fungible tokens and all those uh, hot words right now that's something that is reasonably dominated even though uh, people have messed up dramatically in the implementation of DAOs uh, which again, we, we don't need to go into that, but these are distributed structures to raise money. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you miss a, a bug in your code, which developers typically miss, and that's part of the complexity of building software, uh, we're talking millions of dollars, you know, being deviated and being forked to, uh, to other parties. But, but my stance on crypto is that it became 
by sheer force of social media and society, it became this almost this uh, casino where whoever says something most bizarre drives the price of the currency to one direction or to the other. I think uh, traditional investors are looking at that and are understand that this is an important concept. But I think there's a, a lot of a, a lot of questions that have to be answered, and I'm sure regulators are going to put some uh, 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 limits around how those uh, currencies may be created and how they are actually backed up in the real world by uh, uh, goods or by uh, uh, standards that you can uh, uh, trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still feel that it's the role of governments and financial authorities to make the leap between this technology that has been around for thousands of years, which is a, a sheet of paper that is worth something, to translate into the digital world where you have the same stability, the same conversability, uh, and the same uh, confidence that this is something that is not going to be taken away from you. You're not going to wake up and all of a sudden your your portfolio of currencies is down 50% of se or 75% as we have seen, and I'm sure we'll see uh, further in the future. Sounds like uh, sounds like you definitely were a risk manager. You know, I, it makes sense now. No, you know, it, the other thing is, so I grew up in, and I still live pretty close by, Ashburn, Virginia, where AOL started. And it almost sounds like, you know, the internet is invented and we're investing in instant messenger. You know, it's like, look, we can connect with people missing the, you know, all the other things. And I think that's commonly discussed, right? Blockchain. I think a lot of people are like, blockchain's the thing. Same with NFTs. I was laughing. I was listening to um, to Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's like, "Look, I'm not saying I can tell you which NFT is going to be worth something invaluable, and I know 98% are going to fail. But I believe in the technology. To me, that seems like such a cop out. It's like I believe in this really cool, useful, complicated process. I just don't know how. <laughs> you don't right, have to be right. a genius to say that. <laughs> anyway, listen, Guy." Uh, this was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Always here to learn, and I learned a lot. Um, we've got the book we've talked about here, Present, Future, Business, Science, and the Deep Tech Revolution. Um, where else are you these days? I mean, obviously, we're going to link to the book, but do you focus mostly on investing, or are you also kind of educating and out there doing different things? Yeah, no, investing is my day job, if you will, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm Twitter, uh, uh, and on LinkedIn, these are the two, uh, you know, social media outlets I, I use, and I'm not terribly active in either of them, but, you know, somewhat active. Uh, we have a newsletter about deep technology that is free uh, for all. You just, you know, hop on our uh, website, the book website, it's presentfuturebook.com and subscribe. Uh, and we, uh, every month we, we share a number of links, stuff we're reading, stuff we think is interesting, stuff I think that the curious mind will be interested uh, in understanding. And as you said, you know, early in our conversation, it's like a little glance of what, what's, what's coming down the, the pike. So I think, I think that could be an interesting way of, of, of staying connected. That's fantastic. We'll be sure to link to that. That's presentfuturebook.com. All right, we'll, we'll have people go there and sign up. I'm going to sign up because I want to know what's coming. I, I'm not going to find this stuff out. I'm just not interested enough, but I want somebody else to tell me what's coming. So I love Fair it. Fair enough. That Dee, works. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you. 
That was our interview with Guy Perlmutter. Hope you enjoyed it. As a reminder, Guy's book, Present Future, Business, Science, and the Deep Tech Revolution can be found wherever books are sold. All right, let's get into the quick housekeeping items. If you ever want to reach out to the show, you can email Chris and I at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to support the show monetarily, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And if you just want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, so I'm sure you've got another podcast in your queue that you're just itching to get started, whether it's still Smart People Podcast or another podcast. That's cool, too. So we're going to let you go. Make sure you stay tuned. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and we will see you all next episode. Next episode.